Good morning, church. It was Ernestine, right? Welcome, Ernestine. Really appreciated your prayer. Uh, You were talking in your prayer about the way that we have an enemy who constantly wages war against us. And um, you need to know your enemy if you're not going to succumb to the war that's being waged against you. And so Tommy was praying, Lord, help, I'm confused. keep getting confused. And so this morning's sermon is going to be a little bit uh, about understanding the ways that Satan would come against us using sin, the way that he would work or attempt to work in our lives. So it's going to be part two to last week's sermon, and I'm going to begin with the end. And here's the end. The end is that we're going to spend several minutes in silence. And I'm telling you that now because we are in a culture that is uncomfortable with silence. And so I'm just forewarning you, for preparing you, that we're going to end by quieting our hearts before the Lord who loves us and asking him to speak, and we'll listen, and he will. Okay, that's where we're ending. Where are we beginning? We're going to begin with uh, a little uh, reminder of last week. And before I um, start in, because I'll move from here into preaching my sermon, Let me share that we're not going to read a scripture at the beginning of the sermon. There are four or five of them that are woven throughout. And so I'll read them as we come along. The first one uh, I'll I'll, I'll ask us to open to together and the rest I'll read. So last week we talked about holiness. And we talked about how holiness was a gift that God gives. It was a present that God gives to every Christian. That when we say, yes, Lord, there's nothing that I can bring that can atone for my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash me and make me clean. I need Jesus. Yes, Lord, I I believe in him. I thank you for the gift that you give. He gives to us Jesus' life. He puts Jesus' spirit in us. And he says, I look on you as clean. So he gives us the gift of, you're clean. And that doesn't change. That's forever. You're forever mine. You're forever clean. I always look at you through Jesus, through his purity. Even when you fall, even when you stumble, even though there's sin still in your life, you're clean. That's the gift. Holiness is a gift. And then, holiness is a calling. That the gift which given is given to us needs to be unwrapped. And it needs to be opened up. And it needs to be taken out. And we spend our whole lives unwrapping this gift of holiness which leads to what the second thing we said last week which was what was holiness becoming like god perfect in love pure in joy full of peace without blemish we are invited to share in his life and to become like him so we're given this gift and then we're told to open it all our life long all our life long we're to become more and more like God. And the last thing we said was that that's where joy is. Joy is in being like God. So holiness is gift and calling. The calling is to become like the God who loves us, who's redeemed us through Jesus, and it brings joy. And the question that we want to ask this morning 
is what happens to a Christian when they stop unwrapping that gift? What happens to a Christian when they stop cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit to put sin to death and to become like God? This is Ember May Sisson, and she's going to help me um, begin this sermon. I want to tell you um, a little story. You've all flicked on the TV or read a newspaper and come across a story that was horrendous, was evil. Somebody did something and you reacted by saying, oh, oh, that's disgusting. How could someone do that to another person? How could anybody do that? You know, a story so revolting that you you have like a visceral reaction in your gut well that happened to me this past week but it happened as I was reading my Bible and um, it wasn't something that I didn't know but it struck me deeply so I want to read that to you you can follow along if you like it comes from Psalm 106 And uh, it's just a set of four verses, beginning in uh, verse 34. Psalm 106. This is recounting, the psalmist is recounting some some of the, the story or the history of God's people. Remember, God had called, of all the nations, he had called... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and from them Israel. And he'd said, I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole earth. And from them would come Jesus. And um, he called them to be holy as he was holy. Called them out of slavery in Egypt. And he called them to a land he was going to give them for their own. And here's some of what happened, beginning at verse 34. The psalm says, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood the blood of their sons and daughters. And I read that, and it was like this wave of, I just pictured it, you know? I pictured a mom and a dad um, sacrificing their own baby. And we know, we know that what they would do was that they would put them into a fire. And so, to sacrifice them to these gods. And that the babies would be burned alive and I pictured that and it just it and I said to my I said I said I said God who does this God who who takes their own beautiful baby and and puts them in a fire God what kind of person wakes up in the morning and says I think today I'll sacrifice my my son or my daughter And in answer to that question, it was as if um, the Holy Spirit said to me, 
Dave, look back at the passage. Look again. And so I looked again and I read again. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. And the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart, Dave, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to sacrifice my child without a long process taking place before that. That that waking up one day and deciding to do something so vulgar and horrible begins years earlier, quiet. Years earlier, when seeds are planted and seeds grow up and that there's this process of rebelling, not fully obeying the commands of the Lord, whatever they be, and mingling and adopting and taking in that leads to a place of being so ensnared that you would do something like that. Now, we don't know why they, why they didn't fully obey the Lord. Perhaps they said, oh, it's too much work. It's taken so much work to get to this place, to get out of Egypt, a million and a half people, and to traverse this land and cross this sea. And God, we're here, and some of them have already been cleared out, and it's just too much work. It's too hard. Lord, it's too hard to drive out these people. We just can't do it. We'll just, we'll just put up with what's left. Maybe. Maybe something totally different. Maybe they actually sat in judgment over the judgment of the Lord against these evil people. Maybe they thought he was being too harsh. Really? Kill them? Maybe they stood in judgment over his judgment. Maybe something totally different. Maybe they looked on them and saw these people and thought, I, they're not so bad. Look at all the things that they have. I'd really like to become like them. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be so bad to let some of them you know, and those customs aren't so bad, and we don't have to be such sticklers. We don't know. We don't know why they didn't fully drive them out. All we know is that they did not fully obey the Lord to drive them out, that seeds were planted, and that those seeds were planted were the seeds of rebellion. They were the invitation to the prince of rebellion to come and put tentacles in and begin to grow And up from that arose death. The death of their own sons and daughters at their own hands. Sin growing up always involves a process. And it doesn't start with the end result. It starts with seeds. James teaches us this in chapter 1, 14 14 to 15, I think, when he says this. It's a short verse, so I'll just flip there and read it to us. James says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, 
gives birth to death. So you hear that pattern? Temptation, dragging, evil desire, desire conceives, it gives birth to, and then when that grows up, death. doesn't start with death. It starts with a desire. That's it. Just a thought. Just an inclination. Just one little, I'm lured toward, I'm drawn, I'm attracted to, I have a thought about. And he says, when desire has conceived, well, folks, we know our anatomy. Conception requires two parties. So what's desire conceiving with? Let's, let's call desire the egg. This desire comes along. Here's the egg. What's the sperm? What is impregnating the desire that is causing it to conceive and give birth to sin? It's our will. It's our choosing. It's us not saying no to, not stopping, us giving our thoughts over to, us at some point agreeing with, us not saying that's not true. At some point along the way, our will, whether noticeably or unnoticeably, whether consciously or unconscious or subconsciously, our will is engaged. There's a choosing that happens. Even if that choosing happens without us noticing it, there's always with sin a choosing that happens. And when the choosing happens, there's impregnation. Something is conceived inside of us. Now, folks, when there's conception, there's gestation. So just because we are tempted or inclined toward or lured and we don't say no, we hang on to the temptation or we, we whatever, or we give our will over to it. It doesn't mean there's sin right away. It means there's gestation. It means the seed's been planted and it's been impregnated or it's beginning to germinate or to grow. could be a long time. But any time there's a seed planted, James is saying it's going to grow, it's going to conceive, and it's going to give birth to sin. And sin isn't death right away, but he says if you let that thing that sin grow up, that will produce death in your life. So what, what I want us to hear really clearly at this point is process. There's a process. And God's teaching us that process because he loves us. And he wants us to do something about that process that's happening. To not allow it to continue on unhindered. So you want to think about that process. You, think, you, could, you could describe it this way. Nobody goes to bed at night aflame with love for the Lord, deep faith, ready to lay down their lives to follow Jesus Christ, and wakes up in the morning and goes, where's my faith? It's gone. And finds out like that their heart's grown cold, that they have no desire for obedience, that they don't, they don't have any hunger or care for God's word. They don't, they don't want to pray. You don't go from this place at night to this place in the morning. Similarly, you don't go from having a, a marriage that is flourishing 
that has vital communication and deep love to no love and total dysfunction and um, actually bitterness and anger and hatred overnight. There's a process. You get what I'm saying. There's a process that takes place with anything. Seeds are planted. It grows up. And so for that reason, the Lord says to us, in his love, he says, put sin to death. Kill it early on. When you see it, when there's seeds, put it to death. He says it really clearly through um, Paul in Romans 8. Let me just read Romans 8, 12 and 13. He says, Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we've got an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, that's our sinful nature, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh or your sinful nature, you'll die. That means it'll produce death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Anybody who's um, familiar with the book of Romans knows that the chapter before, chapter 7, Paul is basically describing civil war that takes place in our own hearts. It goes kind of like this. Paul says, well, what about the law of God? Look, we know God's law is good, but, and we affirm it is good, but we just can't keep it. He says, it's kind of like, I want to I keep God's law, but, but I can't. Every time I, I, I tur- I'm, I'm inclined toward good, I find this equal other power at work within me leading away from doing that good so that I, I don't do the good I want to do and the, good, the bad that I don't want to do, I do. And he describes these like opposing forces, like a civil war at work within a person. But if you know Romans 7, you also know that the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned once in Romans 7. And that Paul ends Romans 7 by saying, who will rescue me from this body of death? And he answers his own question by saying, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he begins chapter 8 by saying, Now that Jesus is here and he's been given and we've got faith, there's no more condemnation. We are not condemned. But rather, the Spirit, and he goes on to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Christians, and gets to this point at at verse 12 and 13 where he says, By the Spirit we put to death, as non-condemned, dearly loved children, by the person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we put to death sin so that it doesn't dominate us. Now here's the thing we've got to remember as we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit to put sin to death in our lives. That sin never looks like its end result. So if you, in this lifelong process of opening the gift of God and becoming holy and putting sin to death, don't know what to look for, how your enemy works, then you're in trouble. If you look for the, the, the big, the, the, the sins like we read in, in the Psalms, the things like so horrendously evil like sacrificing your own children, or, and you name what you call the big sins, if you look for those, you're looking in the wrong spot. Sin doesn't start there, it ends there. It starts as seeds in our heart. 
seeds. And let me just read you a couple of examples. You can fill in the blanks for yourself. But as I thought about it, I thought this. Sin doesn't start as a full bone broken relationship, whether that's a friendship, relationship with your child, your parents, spouse, whatever it is. It starts with a small offense, with harboring that offense, with stewing on it, with neglecting to forgive. Sin doesn't start with leaving your spouse or your friend. It starts with that small selfish voice that encourages hanging on to my rights. My rights. I'm entitled to have you listen to me and understand me and love me perfectly. Sin doesn't start with walking away from Christ and His church and eternal life. It starts with the subtle temptation to resist care and loving discipline. It starts with the small voice of pride that says, you're not telling me how to live. Sin doesn't start with lukewarm or apathy or deadness of heart. It starts with the lure, the small lure, to fill and pleasure ourselves with anything other than or before God. Anything that would squeeze out real hunger for knowing God. Sin doesn't start as death. It grows up to produce death. And here's the thing. That as those seeds grow into a plant that would like fill the garden of our heart and choke out life, the bigger it gets, the more power it exerts over us the harder or more difficult it is to resist or to cut out that plant. Because sin isn't like like a rock, like if you picture your heart like a garden, which it is. Sin's not like a rock that just kind of falls into the garden and there it is, an immovable, not alive object. Sin is alive. It has a force or a power or a life of its own. It's dynamic and it grows, it expands. Right? And takes more and more control. So here's a, a story that Philip Yancey tells in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, that really illustrates that, that, that growing power of sin. Philip said, I had a friend call me one night and ask me if we could go out for coffee. And as we sat over coffee, he said to me, we, we made small talk for 45 minutes or an hour, and finally he looked at me and he said, Philip, the real reason I've called you to come out here tonight is this. And he went on to tell him, um, I'm, I found somebody much younger and more beautiful than my wife, 15 years, who makes me feel alive like I've never felt. And I'm planning to leave my wife and my kids to be with this woman. And Philip said, I just sat stunned. But that wasn't the worst. He said, he ended it by saying to me, Philip, you know God really well. Can he forgive something so dastardly as what I'm about to do? And Philip said, Then I was silent for a long time because I know that there's nothing that God can't forgive. He's always willing. But you see, the problem is 
not God's willingness to forgive, but our willingness to ask for forgiveness. Because forgiveness is always contingent upon repentance. And we change in the very act of sinning. And so he said to his friend, friend, God is always willing to forgive, but there's no guarantee that you're going to want forgiveness once you commit this sin. Get that? There's no guarantee once you give sin this place in you, once you willingly, knowingly step into it, that you're going to want it. Philip said, three months later, he left his wife. Three months after that, I began um, hearing from others that he had left the church, left God, and kind of dismissed the faith as narrow-minded and too exclusive, and those people always want to put their judgments on you, you know? You see, it had, it had been given such room in him that deception, confusion, had taken over his mind. And so he couldn't even see it anymore. What he knew on the front end in the coffee shop was sin. Six months later, he couldn't call sin. That's the power of sin to take over as it grows up in us. And so I've just told an example of a bigger sin or a bigger story, but the same thing is true, the same pattern is at work with every little seed that gets planted in us. Every seed, every untrue thing we believe, every unkind word we agree to speak, every seed And so the writer of Proverbs says these most important words. He says to us, chapter 4, verse 23, Above all else, above everything, guard your heart. Guard it, because it's the wellspring of life. Now, we don't have wellsprings. It's not where we get our water. We get our water from taps. We turn it on. But if you turn on the tap, and there's rust, and there's mud, and there's bacteria coming out of your tap, It pollutes you. And if you drink that polluted water, you will get sick. And life will be taken from you very quick because we need water to live and we need that water to be pure and clean. And so the writer of Proverbs is saying, guard your heart, this place where life comes from in you, and don't let anything unclean, any spiritual bacteria take up root in you. Nothing, he's saying, not any lust. Don't put up with it. Kill it. Not any sloth. Not any jealousy. No bitterness. Do not let anger take root in you. Nothing. No pride. Do not exalt yourself over any of God's words. Don't let any deceit, not one piece of it, take root in you. He says, guard your heart. Guard it. Because if a seed gets planted, the seed grows up, it'll bring death. We've got to take the seeds seriously. None of us, all of us actually I should say, all of us 
lowered our jaws when I was holding Ember and reading this passage and talking about sacrificing babies. We all look on that with horror, don't we? But here's, here's, I believe, the Lord's question to us this morning. Do we look with equal horror upon the seeds? Do we look with equal horror upon the seeds that produced that end result? Do we look with equal horror upon the temptation anywhere in our own hearts? Stay with me here, folks. Anywhere in our own hearts to exalt ourselves, to rebel, to exalt ourselves over any one of God's words. Do we have that kind of dread, pure, reverent dread of sin? Seeds matter. And so this past week, um, this happened in our home. I watched from the kitchen as my wife told our oldest three or four times to get off the couch and to do something. And I watched him hear and not respond, not obey. And I knew he was hearing. And so I called him over to talk. And you might say, oh, come on, Pastor Dave, kids do that all the time. Like that's, don't you know kids? (laughs) Haven't you had one for nine years now? This is what I said to my son. I said, son, all authority belongs to God. And he's given some of that to mom and I to raise you, to know him and love him. And when you hear our voice and you don't respond with obedience, full obedience from the heart, you're disobeying the Lord. And if you do that, Without sorrow, you are allowing the seeds of rebellion. The seeds of rebellion to be planted in your own heart. And that's serious. The Lord loves us. He loves us so much and that's why he tells us to put sin to death. And whereas we would look on child sacrifice with horror, we need to be reminded that he sacrificed his child. That he willingly, knowingly, intentionally sacrificed his own son, so that we could share in the joy of being like him, of knowing him, and being holy like him. And so we're going to respond this morning to that sacrifice, and we're going to respond to that love, and we're going to respond to the call to not let seeds, any kind of seeds, take root in our hearts. And we're going to do business with the Lord, not when we get home, but right here. And we aren't going to pay any attention to the people around us. We're going to respond to the Lord. And we're going to do that in this way. I'm going to invite the Lord to speak, to show us where we've let seeds of any kind that are unholy take root in our hearts. And he will, 
And after several minutes of being silent in his presence and listening for him to speak, Pastor Gina will come up and she will lead us in confessing and receiving forgiveness and the love of the Lord afresh. And so let's pray. Lord God, in your holy presence right now, we put aside all of our defense mechanisms, our patterns of deflecting, our patterns of denying, our patterns of downplaying, and we say that we are willing to respond to your love by having you open up our hearts and show us seeds that have been planted, which are unholy, and which prevent us from sharing in your life. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit of the living God. Go to the deepest places of our inner beings, our hearts, and our minds, and bring up into the light those things which are dark and unholy, And need to be confessed. Bring the life of God. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The Lord invites us to be community to one another. And even as Jesus and the Holy Spirit pray for us, he teaches us about being the priesthood of believers and praying for one another and confessing our sins to one another. And so today we're going to practice that in the grace and the love of God, where there's no condemnation, but he invites honesty. He invites us to come and repent, to confess the sins, the seeds that have been planted in our own hearts, To say to the Lord, we don't want to end up in that place that we heard about, about sacrificing children and being confused and deceived. Lord, today I want to confess. I want to confess what you've brought to my mind and to my heart. And there is good and godly grief even as I sat here. I felt convicted. I was reading about wholehearted devotion to the Lord this morning in my my, um, quiet time. And I thought, I don't even think I have the beginnings or the just a little, I'm just a little on the way to what it looks like, Lord, to be wholeheartedly devoted to you. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I want to be. And so, Lord, put to death anything that interferes with my wholehearted devotion to you. And so just as much as I confess my sin right here in front of you and receive the forgiveness of the Lord, 
we're going to confess our sins to one another. And so at this time, I'm going to invite the prayer partners and our board members that are present and are available to pray with us to form some teams right up here. And you're going to see groups of two. And this is a time that you can come and just